This week, we talked to Canada's only manufacturer of dilution refrigerators, a key piece of equipment for quantum research. Plus, we'll check in on some happenings in Edmonton's innovation ecosystem. Hi, I'm Karen Unland. And I'm Mac Mail, and this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. Mac, you're back. Thanks for filling in while Pfizer's on a much, much needed and much deserved vacation. Everybody needs a break from time to time. That's important to all of us here at Taproot. And I'm always uh, happy to join you on the podcast, Karen. It's a treat. Uh, We should plug your other podcast, your much bigger than Bloom podcast, Speaking (laughs) Municipally. So for some reason, you listen to this podcast, but you don't listen to Taproot's other podcasts. You can get Mac every week. Yeah, we do a weekly podcast all about uh, municipal politics, things that are going on at City Hall, at City Council, and we try to bring you the decisions and the analysis of those decisions in a way that you can understand, even if you don't follow City Council as closely as we do. Indeed. Uh, I also want to pull on another area of expertise of yours for this conversation, because you are a computer science guy, and so Mm -hmm. I feel like it would be helpful to have you... uh, It would be helpful to have you on the show this week because of the interview that we have. So let's start with, what can you tell us about quantum computing? Yes, I have a computing sciences background. I'm not an expert in physics or anything like that, but I enjoy, as you know, Karen, reading about this stuff. And one of my favorite explanations for how to understand the power of quantum computing, what it can do is this. So imagine you have a maze. And you want the computer to figure out how to get out of the maze from the starting point. Traditionally, what you would do is you would go down every single path. You'd get to a dead end, you'd backtrack, you'd go to another path, you'd backtrack until you finally made it out of the maze. Quantum computing allows you to get out of that maze by simultaneously exploring every single possible path. So Uh instead of doing it one at a time, doing this backtracking thing, you can, you know, go down every single path all at the same time to figure out the way out of the maze. And the way that it does this is because of something it uses in quantum computing called qubits. So in classical computing, you've probably heard of the bit. It's a switch. It's a zero or a one. It's on or it's off. It can only be in one of those two positions at any given time. A qubit, in contrast, can be in multiple states at once. So scientists have figured out how to exploit these quantum effects, things that happen in quantum mechanics uh, that happen in really, really low energy environments. Low energy, of course, if you think back to high school physics, means low temperature. And that's where these guys come in. Indeed. Yeah. So zero point cryogenics is who we're talking to this week. And they make dilution refrigerators, which lower the temperature very close to absolute zero, which creates that opportunity, I guess, for for you to be working with qubits. Yeah, to be able to exploit these quantum effects that scientists have discovered along the way. It's really hard to wrap your head around because at that quantum level, things don't work the way that we're used to them understanding how they work, right? So uh, that stuff is kind of confusing and I certainly don't know uh, very much about it, but I do think this idea that quantum computing you know, allows you to do things faster is really, really powerful. It doesn't allow you to compute things that a classical computer can't compute, but it does allow you to do them, you know, in an order of magnitude uh, more quickly. So um, 
maybe this is a good time to mention this this concept that you might come uh, come across if you read about quantum computing called quantum supremacy. And this is the idea that a quantum computer can do a calculation that no classical computer, traditional computer, feasibly could ever do. And Google claimed they did this a few years ago. They had a 54 qubit uh, processor that they built, and they said they could perform a calculation in 200 seconds that would have taken the world's most powerful supercomputer at the time 10,000 years. So basically not feasible to do. Now, IBM, which is another big player in the quantum computing space, disputed this and said, that's highly misleading. It could happen in 2.5 days. But lots of researchers still celebrated this as a, a milestone, a sort of an achievement in, in quantum computing research. So that's the sort of uh, promise of quantum computing, to do things so much more quickly, which allows us to do things like drug discovery, you know, optimization problems, financial modeling, all of these things that today take supercomputers to do could happen much more quickly with quantum computing. Okay. Well, let's hear my conversation with John P. Davis, who's the co-founder and, and CTO of Zero Point Cryogenics, along with Christopher Casson, who's the CEO. They're going to talk a little bit about physics. They're going to talk a little bit about the promise of quantum computing. They're also going to talk about business, which is, we're interested in that on Bloom. So here's our talk. I'm speaking today with two leaders from Zero Point Cryogenics, Christopher Casson, who's the CEO, and John P. Davis, who is the co-founder and chief technology officer. Zero Point Cryogenics makes dilution refrigerators for quantum technologies. So by lowering the temperature to very close to absolute zero, they make it possible for other innovators to create new technologies. Welcome to Bloom. Thank you for having us. I took a stab at uh, describing what you do in the intro, but maybe I'll start with you, John. What else should lay people know about what Zero Point Cryogenics does? Yeah, I am I am both a university prof in the Department of Physics and the CTO of Zero Point Cryogenics, and so ultra low temperatures is my passion and is my is is what I've been doing for for decades. So the reason why we build dilution refrigerators is exactly to uh, really get rid of all the thermal energy in a system so that we can look at its really low lying properties and sort of everyone's heard of like particle detectors going to, you know, CERN going to bigger and bigger energy scales. This is really the opposite. It's going to lower and lower energy scales, really looking for the opposite side of physics. And, and when you do that, you, you, you encounter what we call quantum physics or, or quantum mechanics. And that's exactly what, what we're, we're, you use a dilution refrigerator to study in the lab, but also this has enabled a new whole new set of technologies, and we call these kind of quantum technologies. And so you've probably heard of a quantum computer, and so most architectures of quantum computers will use a dilution refrigerator as the hardware platform. So you'll you'll attach your quantum processor to a, a dilution refrigerator to cool it down and to access these low temperatures and, and allow. For example, for, for interesting properties like superconductivity, the flow of electrons without resistance, which is critical for, for a lot of uh, architectures of quantum computers. So that's what we're building. And there's, there's really not very many manufacturers of these in the world. And so we're trying to be the Canada and North America's manufacturer of dilution refrigerators. So cryogenics is in your name, but your website says it's a cryogen-free dilution <laughs> refrigerator. So what makes your tech cryogen free and why is that a good thing yeah that's a great question so cryogenics just means that like uh the art of getting things cold 
whereas a cryogen is typically a liquid. So liquid nitrogen or liquid helium. Anybody's like made liquid nitrogen ice cream in school? Maybe not yeah. most people, but that's when I do a demos for my kids at school, that's what we do. We, we make sure, liquid yeah. nitrogen ice cream. So liquid nitrogen is a cryogen. Liquid helium is a cryogen. We build and those require, you know, special handling and special uh, gloves and these kinds of things and, and techniques to, to transfer uh, into these what we call wet fridges in the business. And so instead we make what we call dry fridges or cryogen free fridges. So this will still allow you to access these ultra low temperatures, but without any of that hassle, you kind of just plug it in and, and you hit go and it runs. Chris, I'm going to ask you the business question, like about how much does a dilution refrigerator cost? <laughs> so that's a, that's a pretty loaded question, <laughs> um, but they vary in price anywhere from about a half a million dollars to two and a half million dollars. So your sales cycle is not like send an Instagram ad and get an ad, uh, get a, a a customer like this is it a, is a big deal. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, and uh, they're very you know large contracts in price that require really long lead time, and, and they take longer to negotiate. Uh, but all the people we are negotiating with are either academic institutions, government labs or quantum computing companies. So we're, we're really dealing with uh, some of the, the best organizations that really the world has to offer. Mm -hmm. So John, you mentioned that you are a physics professor at the University of Alberta. Tell me a little bit about the story of when and why you decided to spin this out as a company. It really comes from two, two things. One is over the years, I started recognizing that my students often uh, were not going off into academia, but we're going off into industry. And I started asking, like, how can we better train graduate students that are going off into industry? And so I started diving deeper and deeper into to entrepreneurship and, in, and learning about entrepreneurship sort of to better help train my graduate students for their future careers. Uh, but hand in hand with that, you know, I have been blessed to have pretty significant both federal and provincial funding over the years for my research group. In particular, the the provincial government, when you get grants, they like to ask you, you know, how is this going to help diversify our economy? Or, you know, what are the benefits to Alberta? And I took that question very seriously. Uh, I think, you know, maybe some people don't, but I sure did. And And really, I started asking myself, how could we turn this, uh, what we do in the lab, into a business? And what we decided was it wasn't really the research we do that we could commercialize, but it was the tools we use to do our research that we could commercialize. And so the, the things that we study in the lab sometimes are superfluids and superconductors, exotic quantum mechanical phenomenon, for example. But we use these dilution refrigerators to get to those temperatures. And so we are experts in dilution refrigerators. And we said, actually, there's a growing market demand for dilution refrigerators because of these quantum technologies like quantum computing. Maybe we can push that forward. And so in 2017, I founded Zero Point Cryogenics. In 2018, we got our first provincial grant specifically to build our prototype system. And we ran that from 2018 to 2021 inside the university. And in 2021, we moved it out of the university and, and really into our own space with our own staff. And, and that's when Chris came on 
and really took it from sort of an academic exercise in company building to a real uh, company doing real serious things. So Chris, I take it from your LinkedIn that physics is not in your background. You're not a scientist per se. I know. And uh, so I'm sure there's a question coming up here. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did, how did you land with these guys? I had a transportation logistics company that, uh, that I had operated for seven years in Canada and the United States. Uh, when COVID came along, I think a lot of people in the construction and the oil and gas industry got pretty scared, and all of our contracts were cancelled overnight. Hmm. Uh, I chose to take all of our assets and sell off all the assets of the business, and then I decided that I was going to start investing in tech companies. Met the fine people at Startup TNT, and I started uh, investing with them uh, and offering some mentorship through other organizations. And uh, one night, Zach Storms was like, Chris, I met this guy in the playground. He builds fridges. You should talk to him. <laughs> it's kind of the, the Cole's notes of the conversation. I was like, huh, fridges. And uh, he says, yeah, like really cool fridges for quantum computing. You know, I, I was looking to either purchase a business or invest largely in a business. And uh, John said that uh, they were looking for a CEO at Zero Point Cryogenics. And that's, and that's how I got started. Oh man, I I did not know that. I knew that Zero Point got a side deal at Investment Summit three, but I did not know that there was matchmaking going on. So that's uh, our that's history a, that's is deeply deep. tied with Startup TNT. So yeah, yeah, yeah. amazing. We uh, we've hired multiple employees that are either investors in Startup TNT or early entrepreneurs that were just attending events at Startup TNT. Interesting. Well, that's when you get people together to have fun, make friends, as Zach says. Other things happen business-wise. That's that's very cool. You have some news. So you've been awarded a contract to test a dilution refrigerator uh, for the National Research Council of Canada. Um, Chris, what does that mean? What does that contract mean for the company? It, it is a huge opportunity to, to showcase deep tech for Alberta and for us as an organization. And to have trust in us all the way up to the federal government is, is just an honor for John and I. Um, it took us absolutely months to negotiate this contract and to, to go through all the processes required to become a vendor of the Canadian government. So it is just a, a beautiful stepping stone to, uh, to have a federally signed contract in our cap to, to progress forward in that manner. And, and what I mean by that is just that banking for early stage companies is really difficult and having just really solid contracts in place is really going to help us catapult us to the next level. I was wondering whether it was the money or the validation that comes with that that was more important. Are you able to, to differentiate those two or is it kind of all one big? I, I find it's one thing. Like yeah. federal contracts are tough because the federal government doesn't want to pay you to the very end of the contract. But just having that trust just is, it makes John and I feel really happy. John, why is a made in Canada solution important for this kind of technology? I think it's twofold. The first is really a national security issue. It, th these technologies are really at the forefront cutting edge of, of next generation computing, next generation internet, 
And I think it's really important that we have a made in Canada solution just from, let's say, a security issue, but also from a supply chain issue that that if there isn't the possibility that if you know Canada wants to build quantum computers, that it can't because it doesn't have the hardware platform. So for us, it's very it's very important uh, that we're supplying, you know, in both Canada and the U.S. with this platform. Um, but also, we have a real pride in our work. So we're really trying to build the highest quality, most reliable dilution refrigerator on the market, the most business friendly, the one that works without a lot of user interface, so that our our customers don't have to have a whole lot of staff working to keep up these systems that they can really rely on them. And so we believe that that's a better thing to do in Canada, right? That we can make really high quality products for the world market, you know, starting here in Canada. And my understanding from a a little bit of research I did before this is that you're not just assembling things that you're bringing in from China. You're like building a lot of this stuff from, from scratch. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there are definitely components that we purchase and actually, you know, supply chain hurts us definitely in that. Like we, we are actually, uh, you've heard of probably this CHIPS Act in the US and, and actually that lifts up both semiconductor manufacturing, but also quantum technologies. But with the, with the rise of, of the, like the push to, to bring semiconductor manufacturing back to the US so that chips can be had, you know, we definitely, are competing for some of the same parts as those semiconductor manufacturers, pumps and vacuum equipment. But for the most part, most of our our components are Canadian made, Canadian purchased, but also uh, we build, as you said, a lot. So we decided, Chris and I, in early days, that we were not going to outsource our manufacturing, for example, to China. We were instead going to manufacture here. And so we divided our 5,000 square foot manufacturing facility in half and half of it is a machine shop. So we manufacture these components to very high precision uh, and custom for our, our customers. So this really does two things. It, it speeds the cycle uh, of innovation. So for example, in the morning, we can sit around the, the table and kind of think of new ideas and think of better ways to do things. And by that afternoon, be machining that new part and by you know the next day having it on the system and trying it out but it also allows us to have a lot more security in the quality and reproducibility of our components uh, so it really was uh, an expensive decision to build our own machine shop but uh, i think really the right decision sounds like that also diversifies your workforce a bit cuz you'll be looking for people like chris you won't be the only non physicist in the in the house you'll need machinists and stuff like that Hundred percent, and uh, you know we're going to be hiring not only from the University of Alberta, but we'll be hiring out of Nate. We'll be hiring out of SAIT and other technical schools as well to find people that are not only machinists but also you know people that have instrumentation controls and electronics backgrounds as well. So you you kind of alluded before to how excited governments are about quantum technology. I think both Alberta and Canada have. Um, strategies that are around quantum leaps, so to speak. I have read some skepticism about whether quantum computing is like more hype than reality right now. Um, John, where do you stand on that? There's always going to be doubters, but in fact, I, I would say that people who are significant doubters in quantum computing 
really aren't experts in any way, shape or form because quantum computing exists today, right? So there are multiple companies throughout the world that have demonstrated quantum computers. There's a particular kind of uh, approach called quantum advantage, where you try to demonstrate that you can do a problem, you can solve a problem on a quantum computer faster than you could on a, on a classical computer. And so this has been done three times now. And the third actually was Xanadu, a, a Canadian quantum computing company out of Toronto, uh, very recently published this paper in Nature where they showed this quantum, uh, quantum advantage. And they, sh they showed that like they could do a, a, a test algorithm in a few seconds that on the world's best classical computers would take, I forget what the number was, 90,000 years or something, right? Now, admittedly, this isn't a very useful business problem, but nonetheless, quantum computers are uh, exist and they are growing in their complexity. And so this is, you know, the, the journey that you have to see is sort of like from the invention of the transistor to, you know, which was this big old, you know, object that, that you then turned into vacuum tubes. And now we have semiconductor transistors and there's billions of them on your, you know, iPhone or watch or something, right. That we have to really let that, the, the science is there and well-founded. Now we have to like, kind of let the engineering catch up and build the complexity of these, of these quantum computers. Does that create a, like a business problem though, Chris, in that, if your customers are a long way from commercialization, does that stand in the way of your own commercialization? No, it's uh, it's a beautiful opportunity. And the reason I say that is we're, we're in a quantum cold war, if you want to call it that. And, and the reason is, is one of the, the more simpler things that, that quantum computers will solve is cryptography. And so you have governments all over the world in a race to come up with cryptographic quantum computing in order to be able to access information from other governments. So right now there's funding all over the world. It's not only in Canada where governments are putting large amounts of money into quantum computing. It's every government around the world because they truly believe the country that first successfully implements a quantum program will have an advantage over governments that do not. There's a ton of money around in, in order to invest in quantum computing, and those companies are buying dilution refrigerators in order to perform their, their experiments and install their quantum computers inside. Okay, so you don't need to wait until I can buy a quantum computer at Best Buy for this no. to be. <laughs> no, and, and to, to be frank, I don't believe that, that people will ever buy a quantum computer uh, there will be cloud services and, and people will go on the cloud and people will use quantum computers and it, it's going to be groundbreaking. We are going to solve some very complex problems and it could be some 16-year-old in a basement. It could be someone within a government lab, but there will be a lot of people that have access to these technologies. Even today, this is the, the form factor quantum computing is taking is really cloud-based, but it's not too dissimilar to, you know, when you do a Google search algorithm, that, that search isn't being done on your computer. It's being done remotely, right? At Google warehouses, data server farms. Uh, we, we're already embracing this idea of, of remote computing and the quantum computing will be very similar to that. Edmonton is also like a center for AI and machine learning, which 
it seems to my layman's brain to benefit from the power of being able to crunch a huge amount of data like uh, quantum computing ought to provide. Does it matter? Does that help to have that proximity to to that potential future use case? So I would say no, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it's great that, so, I mean, I'm very, I'm very happy that, that Alberta is a powerhouse in AI and it really is. And you can see that there was like a lot of provincial investment in AI, which led to, uh, you can see the, the wave of commercialization in AI in Alberta and investment in it. I think you can see that kind of quantum is that same, uh, progressing along the same way, but just maybe a few years behind AI, right? So the provincial investment is kind of coming now and over the past few years, and you'll see in the next decade, hopefully the commercial uh, applications of the quantum. Whether or not there's some synergy between AI and quantum computing, some people will say yes. I will say too early to be seen. And so I would, I would uh, it, yeah, it's entirely possible, but too early to be seen. That said then, what has made Edmonton a good place in which to build zero-point cryogenics? Edmonton's a really great combination of a few things that, that made it kind of perfect for setting up a, a deep tech business like this. One is the strength of the University of Alberta and having sort of the expertise at the U of A, having the PhDs that, that can come on board and, and provide that, that level for us. But also, for example, like Chris said, Nate and the kind of industrial technicians that we also hire a bunch of at, the, uh, at Zero Point. And actually, these things come together really nicely so that, you know, we tour around someone, uh, you know, a technical person who has worked in oil and gas and they can look at our system and go, oh, that kind of looks like my experience in a pipeline or something, right? A pipeline control system is very similar to our refrigeration control system. And so we can actually tap into that local expertise really nicely. I also really love that we are in a kind of a business park in an industrial area that's like really close to the city, really close to the university, really close to Nate. And we can like not be super disconnected, right? We're not super far out. We can have this industrial area inside the city. I think that's also been really key for us. Chris, are there challenges with being having this company based in Edmonton? No, like I, I, <laughs> I, I can't think of any. Um, you know, the the biggest challenge we're going to have is is just shipping. Like yeah. we 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 don't have too many local customers. All of our customers are around the world. So, you know, logistically, we, we have an international airport, which is an incredible thing. We are located in Canada and with, you know, kind of the, the North American Free Trade Agreement or what is it called now? USMCA? USMCA. Uh, with USMCA, like our, our main focus and our target market is the United States and Canada. So, you know, having that agreement in place and being able to, to trade with the United States is going to be an incredible advantage for us versus our competitors. What's next for you then? We just hired a wonderful person from Startup TNT. Her name is Elise, and she is the Director of Sales and Marketing. And she has just been pounding the pavement, introducing John and I to tons of different individuals around the world. Um, so we are now commercializing our product. We are bringing sales in the door. We have some just amazing leads that I'm very confident in short order are going to turn into uh, actual sales. And that's something we're incredibly excited about. 
and it's unwinding quick. So we are right now we are hiring, we are selling, and we are growing. And we're building. We're building systems. So, so that's the other big thing. Besides bringing new sales in, we are, we're building these systems for customers now. And so we have our first two that we're, we're that are on the floor under construction. The third one's going to start really any day. And so we, you know, we're we're really in that that build commercialize cycle that that uh, is so exciting. That's amazing. Well, thank you for sharing this story with our our uh, listeners. It's uh, very cool to know this is happening here. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for your time. So I thought it was interesting that Davis saw the opportunity in the equipment, not in the quantum research or quantum technology itself. And the analogy that came to mind was kind of during the gold rush, people said the people that made the most money were the people selling the picks and shovels, not the guys that were looking for gold. Mm -hmm. So do you think they've made a smart calculation here? You know, maybe. I think one of the immediate problems that comes to mind with your analogy is that, you know, they didn't have the internet back when the gold rush was happening. So, you know, lots of people are going to make money selling access to quantum computing today in a way that wasn't possible when you're working with physical things like gold. I do wonder if they're a bit early to this opportunity. Uh, it's interesting, right? Because um, dilution refrigerators, I've learned, actually aren't all that new. The first one was built in the 60s. Uh, which not coincidentally was the height of the space race. And, you know, they've had many decades since to to improve and further develop. It's how we got, you know, as what they were talking about, these cryogen free or dry refrigerators kind of couple, you know, 10, 20 years ago became the standard. Um, and in contrast, quantum computing is fairly new. Like it really got started around the time I was born in the early 1980s. And so it hasn't had as long to develop in contrast to, say, artificial intelligence, which also got a kickstart in the 50s and 60s, it hasn't had time to go through the trough of disillusionment, right? Uh, or in, in artificial intelligence, you'll hear about the AI winters that happened in the 70s and 80s. There was all this excitement about the possibility and the research. And then when progress didn't happen as quickly as people thought, funding dried up and, you know, uh, it kind of slowed down quite significantly. So potentially quantum computing might end up in a situation like that, which would be difficult for these guys if that's their target market. On the other hand, it made me think of someone else you've talked to on the show before, uh, which is G2V Optics and how they pivoted from their original target market of agriculture. And maybe it wasn't as far along as they thought to space. And, you know, it's not a coincidence that dilution refrigerators were invented at the height of the space race. And there's a huge increase now in interest in returning to space, missions to, mo to the moon and Mars and other things. So I wonder if they might find some opportunity in uh, the space industry for what they build as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they still do have a market, at least to start with research and folks that are in the labs trying to figure stuff out. So uh, we'll link to Taproot's story and the show notes about the contract that they've got with the National Research Council, which is a beginning. They're also leaning hard into this made in Canada solution. So dilution refrigerators might have been around for a while, but we haven't been making them here, I guess. Uh, and and also the, fa the fact that they're actually machining the parts right here in Edmonton. What do you think of that strategy? That's really interesting, right? You don't often hear about 
people making physical things here. That's the reason mm -hmm. your iPhones all say designed in California and assembled in China, right? Yeah. Um, but I guess when we get into things like quantum computing, as you pointed out in the in the story that uh, we wrote about zero point, you know, cryptography is one of the applications for quantum computers and the refrigerators that they build. And that's obviously really sensitive from a security point of view. Governments want to have some control over this. It's plausible to me that there will be a you know significant interest in having things that are made in friendly markets. So yeah. having, you know, a manufacturer in Canada might be great for Canada, but also for our trading partners, right? Indeed. I also loved that Kasson came to be CEO of the company as a result of some matchmaking that uh, Zach Storms at Startup TNT did. So another one of those examples of unexpected results when you get people in the same room together. And I think a, uh, uh reinforcement of something that you and I believe at Taproot, which is that good things come to those who are consistent. Mm -hmm. And every Thursday night, Startup TNT has been getting together for beers for years now. And you can start to see the payoff of that, right? I mean, all of the companies that are have been invested in through Startup TNT's, and TNT's investment summits, and then these you know relationships that get formed and the connections that get made along the way, it all happens because you can count on them every single week uh, to be continuing to nurture the community. Yes, repeatable processes, people. One-offs, not as powerful. <laughs> All right, so we'll take a break uh, to hear from our sponsor. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about what Startup TNT is up to, as well as another very interesting development in the ecosystem. Bloom is brought to you by Edmonton Startup Week. Here's a message from our sponsor. Edmonton Startup Week is a celebration of innovation culture, free community-led events, launch party, and more. I'm Catherine. Please join me October 17th to 22nd. Register now at edmontonstartupweek.com. This episode of Bloom is also brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Life as a business owner can be hectic, to say the least. Alberta Blue Cross understands that. They offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time and on any device, and that makes life easier for them and for you. You've got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business, and Alberta Blue Cross has got your back. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. So before the break, we mentioned Startup TNT and Taproot had a story earlier this month about their new space. What are what are they up to over there? Very interesting to me as someone who lives on 104th Street downtown, Startup TNT has been hanging out here for a while. They were running their Thursday night uh, tradition event, their beer event at Say Uncle, uh, just underneath me, and then uh, now have moved into a new space right across the street. So it's above... Um, the now closed Bottega 104 restaurant. Uh, it's a space that's got a little bit of history in Edmonton's tech scene. It had We Know Training at once once upon a time, um, has some other companies in there right now, including Airtrail and Quote to Me. But Startup TNT has taken over the space and they plan to turn it into, you know, almost like a shared office space for investors. 
this is really intriguing, right? Because we've always talked about these idea of innovation hubs and spaces that bring entrepreneurs together, that bring the startups together. But this is the first time in Edmonton that I can remember, you know, someone talking about bringing all of the investors together. And the theory, the the thesis from Tim Lin, who's a co-founder of Startup TNT, is that it'll promote some of those same collisions that we talk about with entrepreneurs, but on the investor side of things. And that actually makes a great deal of sense to me because I think investors work together actually a lot more than founders do in that they yeah. go in on deals together. They you know, get somebody else to even provide some analysis for them, even if they don't actually go in on the investment. So I think that's really interesting that they're trying to build this space. I wonder if part of the reason that that hasn't really come about before is because of a stereotype that investors are elbows up and trying to like compete instead of collaborate. But our market for investment seems so small that elbows up doesn't seem like it's necessary or even valuable. No, I think it's fairly, you know, collaborative. I think maybe it's just, you know, in the same way that it took a while for our tech scene to feel like it coalesced after things like demo camp and other community events got going. Uh, investors have just taken a little bit longer, perhaps. Yeah. Well, we'll see uh, what comes out of that. Startup TNT has also named their top 20 in each of its four locations that will be pitching uh, towards Investment Summit 6. They'll be pitching on October 6 for a spot in the finale in November. There's actually 21 companies, so I guess we're, we, we get a, a buy as the, mm -hmm. as the home of Startup TNT. Uh, quite a few that Taproot has written about before, so... 48-Hour Discovery, Just Cook Kitchen, Story City, Ume, a bunch of other ones. What do you think of that? Impressive to me that they always come up with uh, so many different startups, some that are familiar to us, as you point out, some that I've never heard of on that list. Mm -hmm. uh, I always enjoy learning about uh, new local startups. And, you know, the fact that they continue continually bring together such an interesting and varied group of startups and entrepreneurs to these summits. You know, Just Cook Kitchens is uh, building a food hall and offers food services and food delivery versus, you know, somebody like Ume, who you had on the show recently, who's offering this device for uh, helping you rest your eyes. You know, quite a range uh, of startups that are brought together all under the same, you know, purpose really here, which is to try and help them grow and help them scale and to connect them with local investors. Yeah. As someone who pays attention to the tech scene, I also love that they record and keep all of these pitches so that I can see at a glance, what do these guys do? Oh, that. Okay. Now I get it. So it's helpful. Assuming they have a good pitch, right? And you can get, you can make it out. But yeah, I mean, most of them are, are getting the right coaching and the right supports and the practice, right? Which is another really beneficial thing about what Startup TNT does. Before we had these investment summits regularly, there wasn't many opportunities for startups to practice pitching. So they do the Great Alberta Pitch Marathon, they do their own investment summits, they have these themed ones. You know, I feel like there's been way more opportunities for startups to pitch in the last few years than there was prior to that. And that's a good thing because everybody could get better at telling their own story. For sure. We are recording this on September 27th, but by the time people hear it, it will be on September 29th, which means that this news will be out uh, about a new brand for the entity that was used to be called Innovate Edmonton. Full disclosure, as anyone knows who listens to this podcast, Innovate Edmonton is the title sponsor of this podcast. Um, what can you tell us about this news? 
and a customer of Taproots and yes, other indeed. capacities as well, we yes. should mention. Um, but yes, Innovate Edmonton has decided to rebrand and consolidate its uh, entities, and it's now going to be called Edmonton Unlimited. So this is a branding process they began last December. They did a whole bunch of research and uh, had a short list of names and tried to find something that would represent um, the next phase of the organization, right? So it launched a year prior to that, December 2020, and adopted the existing name that was used uh, for the subdivision or the, the unit of what used to be uh, EEDC, the Economic Development Company, um, in charge of uh, economic development within the city of Edmonton. So, you know, the context has changed quite a bit. We now have Edmonton Global, who's, you know, really taken the reins of economic development. And Innovate Edmonton, the new entity, seems to have tried to find its way to what its purpose is. And where they mm -hmm. seem to have landed is on innovators in Edmonton and innovations coming out of Edmonton that support the world. So they really have latched on to this idea of trying to be as inclusive as possible within Edmonton so that we can harness the great talents and innovations that come out of people who live here to solve the world's problems. And they're quite interested in, you know, problems that will address the sustainable development goals for interest, for, uh, for example. So they have a new tagline to go along with the new name, Edmonton Unlimited. And the new tagline is innovation from here to the world, which tries to succinctly tell you what their uh, mission is. It's very early days. This isn't even uh, officially out there when we're talking, but does do you get the sense that this means they are not that interested in local businesses that only serve local customers? Interesting question. I think they would tell you that they want to support innovators of all stripes. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some truth to that because we may not know whether an innovation turns out to be something that could address a global challenge or could play a role in some of the problems that plague, you know, not just Edmonton, but other parts of the world. But on the other hand, you know, as someone who has long advocated for some specialization and focus, I think it's okay that they have decided that they're going to focus on innovators who can export things, who can solve worldwide problems. This idea that we can be all things to all people just isn't grounded in reality. So even if they don't explicitly say it, I'm okay if that's the direction they start to go. And there's other entities, namely the city of Edmonton itself, with its various uh, supports for small businesses and, and, and other organizations that can support you know, people who are building businesses that help Edmonton, but maybe don't address some of those global challenges. Right. All right. Well, more will unfold over time. Uh, next up for Edmonton Unlimited is Edmonton Startup Week, which runs from October 17th to 22nd. We will have more about that in upcoming editions of The Pulse and The Tech Roundup uh, and probably everything else that, publish, that uh, Taproot publishes. If you are not receiving those, you, you should get on that. Go to taprootedmonton.ca slash join. That's it for this week. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes of Bloom. And if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Bloom is produced by Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Davon Beaker and cover art by Vicky Wersinski. Bye.